Hey, well, uh, I'm first right off the bat. Uh, my name's Tristan. Most of you already know that. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to have me, we're going to have Devin speak today, we're going to have Meg speak today, we're going to have Aaron speak today, and then Heather as well. Uh, so um, I don't believe I have these verses on the screen, but uh, if you brought a Bible with you or on your phone, or if you just want to tune in, listen, uh, sometimes I find listening helpful if I just close my eyes and tune in, but sometimes also as a parent now, I can't do that because I fall asleep. So do whatever helps you stay awake the, the most this morning. Um, but I am going to be reading um, from Psalm 37, verses 1 to 7. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And uh, I'm just going to quickly read through it again, but only using a couple of the words that appear in the beginning of each line. But just recapping it, it says, do not fret, trust in the Lord, do good, take delight in the Lord, commit your way. Be still, do not fret. And the part that I want to share with you today is a verse that many of us at different parts of our life may be very familiar with. But verse 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was younger, whenever I would hear a verse like that, I would really focus on the second half of it about, you know, what is it that I really want? And it was almost like I was at the center of the orbit and I was wanting God to orbit around me thinking, well, you know, if I just you know, spend more time with God, then he's going to give me all these things that I think that I really need. Um, but as I have had a little more life experience and have gone through some things, I've, I've learned that the real emphasis of this verse is on the first half, which is simply take delight in the Lord. Uh, there's this, you know, half the time we don't even actually know what our desires are. We don't even actually know what it is that we really want or even what is really best and going to lead us to really fruitful and peaceful uh, God-centered life. And so I find that when we, we take the time to simply delight in, in the Lord, that it, it, it reorders our desires. It transforms what the things that we actually long for are. And it's the way of taking delight in him is the way of putting him back in the center so that we're orbiting around him and his will, and that he brings those desires to the surface, the things that he really wants to see happen for us. Um, over time, when people ask me, you know, like, how do I know what God's will for my life is? I, I would often say that there's two parts to God's will for our life. There's his general will and his specific will. And his general will is simply that we continue to be transformed to look more and more like Jesus. Like, when you don't know what to do, that is what we always come back to. Um, but then specific will, this is the part that everyone, like, always really wants to, like, but what, what specifically, God? Like, what do you specifically want for me? And, you know, we think things of, like, oh, who am I supposed to be with? Where am I supposed to go? What job am I supposed to have? But uh, I've learned that taking delight in the Lord really has to anchor those things because it's about his presence. Because you could be married to the right person, you could have the right job and live in the right city, but if you don't have his presence, you're not in the will of God. And so coming back all the time to take delight in him, to 
be in his presence I found to be so helpful because, you know, there, there are seasons of our life where we know what to do and some seasons we don't. That, I mean, for me personally, there's been times in my life where I've been 100% certain that I knew what God was saying to me in that time. And then there was other times where I was maybe 80% certain, times where I had no sweet clue. And if I'm very honest, right now I feel like in a season where most of the time I only feel 50% sure of what I feel like God might specifically be saying to me. But in those times and in whatever season we're in, we can always remember to come back to take delight in the Lord. It doesn't matter where you are or it doesn't matter you know, how certain you are of the specific thing that God may or may not want for you at this moment. If you don't know, you can always come back to take delight in the Lord. Because when we get, like I said, when we put him in the center of our orbit, then things just start to fall into place when he's in that right place. Amen? Amen. That's, that's what I had to share with you today. Um, I'm going to invite Devin up. He's going to share with us next. Thanks, Tristan. I think this morning I managed to call everyone here Nathan, um, and Nathan's not here, so um, I'm glad that I got your name right this time. Uh, I'm Devin, um, as, as Tristan introduced me. Um, this morning, I wanted to share uh, with you, this is very comfortable, um, I wanted to share with you uh, from Psalm 19. Um, but, it, so it, it's interesting, um, my wife Meg and I, she's going to be sharing next, um, we've been reading uh, a really wonderful book uh, over the last uh, week or so. She's finished it already. She's on to another one. She'll tell you about that. Um, but I'm, I'm still working through it. Um, it's called Awaking Wonder, and it's by this woman named Sally Clarkson. Um, and in this, what she calls a memoir of sorts, um, Sally describes the way that they educated their four children um, through much reading, wonder, and experiences. And one evening, just after sunset, um, thousands of stars were shining above their place like diamonds on a velvet coat, as she described it. And Sally thought, tonight we should sleep out under the stars. She had not seen such a cloudless, clear view of the night skies in so long. Uh, and at 7,300 feet in elevation in the Colorado Rockies, you can imagine how clear this sky was. The kids, of course, were thrilled uh, and excited beyond measure. They got their sleeping bags out, and they all lay flat on the deck, marveling at the clear night sky. And when reading this, I could picture it so clearly, um, as I'm sure many of you can too. Uh, one of the clearest nights I can recall was down at Oshbakun Bible Camp. Um, I know some others have been there and spent quite a bit of time there. It's near Walford, Ontario. Um, I spent many weeks down there as a kid, and on this particular occasion, I think my parents were working, and so I was a staff kid, uh, and so had no responsibility, but got to, you know, just hang out all day. Uh, and so we had convinced, two other friends of mine and I, we had convinced our parents to let us sleep outside on the deck of the Blue House, which is where the directors of the camp lived, um, and it was a really cold night, and so I remember... You know, we had our sleeping bags there. I don't actually remember having, like, anything under the sleeping bag other than the slats of the deck. But as a kid, that's comfy too, I guess. Um, and I remember waking up at about 2 in the morning, and all the lights were off at camp, and the sky 
was just lit up with stars, with the Milky Way. It was just unbelievable. And um, one of my other friends was awake at the time, and uh, I just remember commenting on how amazing it was before you know, falling back asleep. Um, and when Sally and Clay, that's her husband, and their four kids were lying out under, their under the stars, their oldest daughter, Sarah, had said in a soft voice, kind of from the, from the darkness, David wrote that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And this brought several psalms to mind, but I wanted to focus on Psalm 19 this morning. Um, so I'll read that to you now. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Obviously, the, the beginning of that uh, psalm just speaks to that encounter, being out under the stars and really just seeing them declare the glory of God. Um, there's another psalm, I think it's in um, 148. Uh, let me just quickly see here. Um, where... It says, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. There's just so many psalms that speak about creation, uh, declaring the glory of God. So, um, probably more than a decade ago, I saw this sermon that Louis Giglio had done. Um, I think it was either in his indescribable um, one or in one called... Uh, how Great Is Our God, both obviously songs by Chris Tomlin. Um, but Louis is one of the leaders of the Passion Conferences, and he, in one of them he described this thing called the Vela Pulsar. Um, and this is a picture of it here. Um, and this is a radio, optical, X-ray, and gamma-emitting pulsar, essentially a star that has gone through a supernova and is now orbiting on its axis very quickly. And so this is about 1,000 light years away from Earth, and it's only about 12 miles across, but we were able to kind of get this uh, shot of it. And with a radio telescope, they were able to hear it. And so this is what it sounds like. Now, 
I'm not very good with Morse code, um, and I don't know that it's necessarily saying anything so specific, but might it be declaring the glory of God? You know, we can hear this from a thousand light years away, this noise that is just going out into the entire universe, just everywhere. And Louis, in, in that first sermon, when he describes it, he's like, do you think it might be saying, like, God is really big? No, 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 like, even bigger than that. Like, no, you have no idea. He's just so huge, you know, and, and he just kind of goes on and on in this. But, you know, you see, there there is just so much to see. We often, you know, I think in throughout the ages, there has been this, this battle between science and the church that I don't understand, because the more we learn about science, the more we learn about the world that we live in, the more that it declares the glory of God, uh, and, and it's, it's just so incredible. But we see a thing like this velopulsar that is just going out there and declaring this throughout, um, throughout the universe. But all of creation really is declaring God's glory but we were created for that specific purpose, to be in relationship with him and to bring him glory. And this psalm encourages me and it reminds me to, you know, wonder at things around us and point out uh, the creation around us and God's goodness in that creation uh, to my own kids as we explore the beauty around us. And that's really what I wanted to share with you this morning. So Meg is going to come up and I am going to go back and trade off the kids. Good morning. I needed a couple notes, so just let me open this up. Uh, there is a song. Uh, a few of the lyrics keep coming to my mind, usually in the morning when I get up with the baby or right before I put him to bed. It's The Goodness of God. It's uh, by Bethel Music. And there's a line in that song that says, Your goodness is running after me. And I really like this image, this personification of God's goodness, like a person that can follow me through my day. And David actually does a similar thing in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 says, Oops. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Um, I have experienced some dark valleys, uh, some dark days and nights, I think especially in the last three months when the, the short nights and long days start to sort of pile up on you. We've all experienced suffering in various forms. And it's very difficult to reconcile suffering with the goodness of God, especially, at least 
Um, to me, it's really difficult when the suffering becomes personal to match that up with God's goodness. I've been reading this book by Sarah Clarkson. It's called This Beautiful Truth, and in it she writes about how God's goodness breaks into our darkness through beauty. Um, and I'm finding it very encouraging. I feel that her words and her story is waking up something in me, and so I wanted to read a little bit from the book to you this morning. She says, my deep belief is that beauty has a story to tell, one that was meant by God to speak to us of his character and reality, meant to grip our failing hands with hope. We know God when we behold his beauty, when his goodness invades the secret rooms of our hearts. To believe the truth that beauty tells, this is our great struggle from the depths of our grief. To trust the hope it teaches us to hunger toward, this is our fierce battle. To craft the world it helps us to imagine, this is our creative, death-defying work. And so I'm learning to see God's goodness in the beauty that he's placed around us. Um, one thing that I have held on to in times of suffering is the knowing that God is present with us in those moments, even when I can't explain why this is happening. Um, I do know that he's present with us. And my prayer is that I will learn to see his goodness and love following me every day. And so to finish off, I just wanted to reread Psalm 23. It's actually from uh, this book called Found. It's uh, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, who did the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it's her retelling of Psalm 23. God is my shepherd, and I am his little lamb. He feeds me. He guides me. He looks after me. I have everything I need. Inside, my heart is very quiet, as quiet as lying still in soft green grass in a meadow by a little stream. Even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am. He is here with me. He keeps me safe. He rescues me. He makes me strong and brave. He is getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me, everything I ever dreamed of. He fills my heart so full of happiness, I can't hold it all inside. Wherever I go, I know God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go to. Hey, everyone. For those who don't know, or maybe to serve as a gentle reminder, uh, my name's Aaron, not Nathan. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really happy um, and excited to be sharing um, the psalm I chose today. The psalm I chose was uh, Psalm 10 from the uh, New International Version. And it's going to be a bit of a longer reading. I do feel like reading the whole passage will give you a better 
understanding of where I'm coming from and maybe why I chose it. So let's just get right into it. Uh, Psalm 10, New International Version. It says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, you see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. A little, little bit darker, a little bit darker undertones to that one. You know, I feel, you can feel like this passage might be a little bit more, again, dark, ominous, maybe pessimistic throughout. And I feel like maybe that's why it called me, sort of like the angsty teenager I have within me, maybe that we all have within us. But um, yeah, again, that's why it sort of spoke to me. I'm more of like a glass, half empty kind of person as it is. I can find it kind of tough to be positive. You know, my favorite team is down a few points. You know, it's over. It's over. They're only down one point. It's already like the game just started. I'm already like, you know, a little bit flustered. But, uh, you know, I feel like the things that are described in this passage are su still super relevant today, you know, especially without, with, you know, the constant news and social media cycle. You know, we kind of get um, this... Uh, pouring of just like negativity we see. We see, you know, whether it's like the war in Ukraine that's happening right now, or maybe you'll see, you know, a horrible story of like, uh, you know, some evil people in this world, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it can be hard to sort of remain positive when you see, you know, you see all this happening day to day. It's very hard to sort of escape that cycle. I saw, I, you know, it reminds me of a joke where it's like the news is basically a bunch of people saying good evening or good morning and then giving you a list of reasons why it's not that. So, 
that's how I feel. You know, you feel like you see bad people are taking advantage of good people and there's no consequence for it. And, you know, they're just getting away with it. But I think this passage is a really great reminder that God's nature is not a pes pessimistic or apathetic one. You know, in fact, he still does care. He does shelter the weak. He cares after the orphans. And he cares about the good people in this world. And he's a defender of them. So that's why, you know, this passage felt like it was calling to me, you know, as a great reminder that people, although people, some of, this, some of the people in this world can be awful and evil, God still watches us and protects us. He has not turned a blind eye to all the wrongdoing in this world, and he will rectify it in the end. Uh, we recently talked about this at our young adults group, that our God is a God of justice, and that in the end, um, everything is going to be right, made right. So yeah, it felt really reassuring when I read this verse, because it was sort of resonating with some of, you know, those pessimistic feelings I had, but it gave me a lot of hope going forward, you know, that God does still care for us and that, you know, wrong is not going to go unpunished. So, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I'm the last one. Um, and when I came in this morning, Tristan said, there's the first and there's the last spot available. Which one do you want? And I said the last, because I figured some family members might straggle in. But Tristan chose the same Psalms. So I probably should have gone first. <laughs> as soon as you started talking, I was like, ah. Oh. Um, but that's, that's great. I think that that's probably a sign that this is a verse um, that has resonated with a lot of us here. Uh, so I was trying to think about what psalms I wanted to choose, and the one that came to mind was one that was very uh, important to me when I was 18 years old and living in Kenya with an aunt and uncle uh, who were lifelong missionaries there. Um, I had gone over in my second year of high school, and I had a lot of time on my hands, and my aunt and uncle just needed to put me somewhere to give me something to do. Uh, so they said, why don't you go and spend some time at this school? Uh, it's a school, it was about a 20 minute um, a tattoo ride away, which is this noisy, loud uh, public bus. Um, and so they said, go there, just spend some time there, you know, just basically trying to occupy my time. And this school was a school for children who had, who were missing at least one parent, um, oftentimes were orphans, and could not afford education. So education in Kenya is free, but you also have to be able to afford the books and the uniforms. So if you're so poor that you can't afford the books and the uniforms, there are some schools like this one where you could go. So these children were the poorest of the poor, uh, a lot of refugees from um, Somalia, from Sudan, and then a lot of children who had lost parents to HIV um, or different ailments. So I went, spent some time there, and this was the first time as an 18-year-old I'd ever seen poverty. And so at the time, I was reading through Psalms, and this verse uh, really struck me. So I'm going to start at verse 3, so Psalms 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. 
Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. So the words that grabbed me at this time when I was 18 was innocence and justice. So these children were so forgotten. They were so forgotten. They were forgotten by their home countries. Uh, they were forgotten by society. There was no place for them. And the school they were in uh, was so dilapidated. It had started uh, by a Presbyterian church. Um, but then quickly, leadership left. And all that was really left standing was uh, the bones of this church, no windows, no doors. Um, and a, an Irish church had come in a number of years ago on a whirlwind short-term missions trip and donated uh, some monthly salaries to a few teachers and a couple of uh, interesting ideas they had for sustainability. So when I was reading this verse again, 12 or 13 years later, I was looking at that word innocent. And the, the, the version I read is the New Living Translation. Um, so I thought, okay, innocent's an interesting word. Uh, we don't see it that often in the Psalms, and innocent is kind of problematic, because who really is innocent? But man, these children are innocent. So when I was looking at the different uh, translations, one of the translations of that Hebrew word is naive. It's like, oh, interesting. So something about this school, the Irish church had come in for one week, and maybe you guys have heard similar stories of this who have done missions. They had built a fish pond, they had built a rabbit hutch, and they had put in a chicken coop and then left. Well, the fish pond, thank you, the fish pond, the fish died almost immediately because there was no oxygen being pumped into the pond. And so in this young children's play area was this green, slimy drowning hazard with no fish. And I remember the kids pulled me back there and they were like, check this out. And they were just beating frogs with a stick. And I was like, oh my word, this is not what was intended, right? And then I went and looked at the rabbit hutch. No rabbits. I asked the caretaker what had happened. Fungal infection wiped out the rabbits almost immediately. Then we went and looked at the chicken coop, which was beautifully built. Um, no chickens. I said, well, where are the chickens? I said, well, no one stays here overnight. So who put the chickens in the coop? Nobody, and they all ran away. So this, there's this idea, you know, this idea in this verse, this word innocent was hitting me in a, new word, in a new way. Naive. And it does shine like the dawn. When you go in as somebody from the outside and you see a problem and you want to fix it, but you just fail so hard that it's just innocence and naivety shining like the noonday sun. Um, and so I had my own experience with this. I, uh, I was spending a lot of time there, and I was just thinking, oh, the foolish Irish, they don't know how to help, but I do. So at the time we were giving health checks to these students, and there was one little boy who was severely underweight, um, and clear he was very ill. So we took him and his mother to the hospital, and we got them an HIV test. Um, and sure enough, they were stage three HIV, uh, both um, Stephen and his mother, Rebecca. So uh, amazingly, there's great resources available for those who have HIV in Africa due to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, free antiretroviral medicine, and then along with that, a month's supply of food refilled every time you go back. Wonderful. We got this set up, and like many children in um, situations like this, loved soccer. 
And the soccer ball that Stephen was playing with was a bunch of plastic bags wrapped up in a tight ball tied together with twine. And so rough day, you know, HIV is a very stigmatized illness. A lot of people will um, refuse to get tested just because the stigma of having that label can be more harmful than the treatment itself. Um, so Stephen and Rebecca were having a tough day, obviously, and I said, well, you know what? I'm gonna get you a brand new soccer ball so you don't have to play with a garbage ball anymore. And so we went and we got one and uh, brand new shiny white and I got him a brand new soccer outfit in this royal blue with these beautiful high socks and sent him on his way. A couple, later, I, a couple weeks later, I went back and Stephen was out in the yard playing with the garbage ball again and his friends. So I said, Stephen, where's the brand new ball? And he shushed me. He said, follow me. He brought me down the road to his house, a small tin house, and under his mattress, covered in clothes, wrapped up tightly, was his uniform and his ball. Because what I had done inadvertently is put a target on Stephen. He suddenly had a very valuable thing that nobody in his community could afford, and he had to hide it, because who knows what would have happened to Stephen if he was playing with that out on the, on the playground. Again, just so naive to what the actual needs of these children are. And I just want to finish up. So, there is lots of interesting evidence about short-term missions trips. One uh, researcher who looked at a, a bunch of short-term missions trips from America that came to Honduras after Hurricane Mitchell, they, this group went, built a bunch of houses in one week, rushed out. What they found was short-term missions like this, there's a metaphor. It's like tying a sapling over. Saplings, you can leave tied in a weird position for one week, two weeks, untie it, and it will spring right back up to where it was before. It takes a lot longer to change the form of something growing. So there is other translations of this verse I wanted to read because there is a really good ending to the story of this school called Compass. So I'm just going to switch over to NIV. Okay. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So I, I really liked the word righteous over innocent because righteousness has a lot more richness behind it. So after I left, a group of women came from Canada, from Sault Ste. Marie, maybe some of you know the name Tumaini Africa. They have now been working with Compass for 10 years. They have developed deep relationships and friendships with the leaders of this school. They have supported the students through graduation. They have poured in time and effort and built relationships with the people and the children at this school. This school now supports over 300 children. It's tripled in size. And they have a deed to a property um, and they're doing all sorts of amazing things, not just at the school, but in the community. So again, back to this idea of a tree. Um, it takes a lot longer to grow and change things than a week. And the things that change um, situations are not money, are not support, are not just being hands off and far away. It's relationship, which I think is what we've seen um, through Christ in our lives. Uh, so I just wanted to share that, um, and that psalm was 
and still is very important to me, but also has changed, and it looks uh, different to me 10 years later than it did then. Um, so we have one more word from Meredith, and then I think we are gonna wrap up with a few more songs. <laughs>